are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the robotic Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Wait, where's robotic coming from? What, what's that one about? What we're going to be talking about today. Oh, I see. Okay. Wow. I... Really? Way to punch up the show with enthusiasm, pal. Well, I'm, I'm going to read the. I'm going to read the comic on the break. So. <laughs> It's only, it's only eight pages. You got time. <laughs> well, folks, we are back for another of one of episodes of one of our favorite topics, which is whatever happened to, which are these great backup stories. In, well, I shouldn't say great after today's installment. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> in DC Comics presents the most beloved series of the 1980s. By the way, I last time we talked about DC oh. Comics presents, I forgot to say this. So, if you are a big, big fan of DC Comics presents, please check out the DC Comics presents show hosted by our buddy Russell Bragg. Um, he goes in depth in every single issue on his own podcast so that's definitely uh definitely worth checking out so um so we're going to talk about whatever happened to we're going to talk a little bit about uh some exciting news in the dc world of television and movies and uh you know what tell you what first thing we're going to do we are going to thank our sponsors folks this episode of the fire and water podcast is sponsored in part by instocktrades.com instock trades is your best online source for trades hardcovers and other collected editions all for up to 42 percent off with free shipping for orders of 50 dollars or more what you got rob Based on the story that I'm going to be reading, oh, spoiler alert, uh, which features Robot Man, uh, I am talking, I'm uh, promoting All-Star Squadron Showcase Volume 1. I think I promoted this book before, but who cares, because it's All-Star Squadron. It features uh, the first 18 issues of the series, plus Justice League 193, which was the preview, written by Roy Thomas, of course, all artwork by Rich Buckler, Dick Giordano, Jerry Ordway, Adrian Gonzalez, and Don Heck, cover artist Joe Kubert, 528 pages Normal price nineteen ninety nine. In stock trades price ten dollars ninety nine cents. Forty five percent off. It's also a squadron. You all know you love it. 
get it. You absolutely know you love it. It's so chocolatey good. Well, uh, I am promoting a book, which, by the way, it was kind of hard to find a book that this character was in. I also uh, am doing as the Whatever Happened to Character, and this one I'm covering is Mark Merlin and Prince Ramon. And he doesn't appear in a lot of places outside of House of Secrets, but do you know what book he did appear in, Rob? Uh, well, I'm assuming there's an absolute edition of all the Prince Raman stories. <laughs> all eight of them? No. Uh, there is a showcase presents of Phantom Stranger, where Mark That's Merlin, right. where Mark Merlin made two appearances. So, uh, the volume one trade paperback of this, uh, showcase presents Phantom Stranger. Over 500 pages, folks. Same as the, the All-Star Squadron. Just massive book. Check out the writers on this. Bob Kaniger, Denny O'Neill, Jerry Conway, John Broom, Len Wein. Seriously? Do I need to say more? Okay, I will. Artist Carmen Infantino, Kurt Swan, Nick Cardi, Jim Aparo, Murphy Anderson, Neil Adams? Why don't you own this already? Seriously, you should be ashamed of yourself. 544 pages. It is black and white, so you can get out your colored markers and color it yourself. Normally it retails for $16.99. You can get it for 45% off. That is $9.34. And you can get Mark Merlin. Look at that. So, folks, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, before we dive into anything else, I just want to remind everyone, folks, we are on the cusp of greatness with the Fire & Water Podcast Network. You guys have heard I'm excited. We, we've been talking about it. We, we actually, tonight, just pulling back the curtain a little bit, Rob and I had an uh, online demo of what the site's going to look like. It's coming together quite a bit. we got some tweaks and stuff to do to it, but it's almost there. And uh, we're going to be bringing on, as we know, we talked about it, Chris and Cindy Franklin. We're bringing on Siskoid. We're bringing on Ryan Daly. Um, that's actually a parole arrangement we worked out with the local penitentiary but in Vermont. But it's, you know, hey, you know what? If it gets if, if it puts a good man to work and he can maybe, you know, be reformed, it's power to him. But anyway, so some of the changes are going to happen is sooner, sooner or later, uh, probably in February, you will be able to subscribe to all of our shows individually. So if you don't want to have to listen to Rob's uh, Film & Water podcast anymore, you don't have to subscribe to that. Or to be more more like the other way around. Right. If you don't want to subscribe to anything Shag's on, <laughs> Rob's making it all that much easier for you. And uh, some of the changes, too, we, we now have a Facebook page. Look up Fire & Water Podcast Network on Facebook. Please like the page. Let us know that you're out there. Send us a message. And um, what else? Oh, we have, a tw- we have a Twitter account. We're on the Twitter. What's our Twitter handle, Rob? Do you know? A hashtag FW Podcasts. That's right. Well, it's not really a hashtag. It's an at uh, sign. At, at, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm blending the old thing. Yeah, it's at FW Podcast. And that's right. You heard Rob right there. There is an S on the end of that now. So we are changing uh, our, our hashtag. So you can still use a hashtag or tag us, whichever way you want. So as Rob said, FW Podcasts, S on the end, folks. Don't forget the S. It's like a you know, Cobra Commander with all the S's. Just one S, though, really. But anyway. <laughs> are you excited about the network? I am. I'm. St- I, if I don't sound excited, it's just because I'm still a little under the weather, and it's a little hard for me to talk. So that's why I'm. I'm not using up my precious oxygen until we get to the Robot Man story. But but uh, no, <laughs> I am very. I am very excited. I'm, I'm really thrilled with how the site looks, uh, and uh, it'll be it'll be really exciting and fun to have all this versatility and have all these people uh, on board with us. Uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited. These are some amazingly talented folks, and they're going to outshine us horribly. We're going to look pretty plus, bad. Plus Daly. Plus Ryan Daly. Right. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> um, well, we should we – should, all right. We don't want to belabor it. We've talked a lot about the network in other episodes. Just know it's coming, folks. It's coming together. We're very excited. But tonight um, – actually, there's some unique timing of this, by the way. Rob and I are recording this on a Tuesday night, and I only say that because by the time you hear this – 
the first episode of Legends of Tomorrow will have aired. So you will have gotten to see Firestorm in action on his own show, a.k.a. Firestorm and his Atomic Friends. And uh, you, you have the benefit, folks, that Rob and I don't. We haven't seen it yet, so you're ahead of us. So let me you know, write me a note, email it back to me on Tuesday night, and let me know how it was, okay? But we did get to see something pretty amazing tonight. There were two specials on tonight, after The Flash. One was a preview for Legends of Tomorrow, that went for 30 minutes, and the other one was a preview for Dawn of Justice, or Dawn of the Justice League, I guess is what it was. And both of these, it's kind of interesting, both of these were basically almost like DVD extras, is what it felt like, but promos in advance. It, you don't see these kind of things on TV anymore. You used to when we were kids, I remember, like, you know, you'd see one for Saturday morning cartoons or something. But this was great, it was all to build hype for the movies. What Now, Rob, did you see both of them, or just one of them? I just saw the Dawn of Justice one. Okay, well, I'll talk a little about the Legends of Tomorrow one. It was very exciting, you got to see... Some snippets that we hadn't seen in the show yet. So there's there's a couple of scenes here and there. You got glimpses of little little tidbits that we hadn't seen in the show. But also had the creators and uh, had the actors and the producers and the directors and all the stuff doing quick little soundbite interviews saying, you know, what the show was about. They did little focuses on each character. There was a nice bit about Firestorm and how uh, if they can they, – they called him like the ultimate – team up, because if they can get along, if Professor Stein and Jax can get along, they could be the most powerful superhero in the world. I mean, it was kind of cool to hear someone say that. They did not talk about his transmutation power, but it's all we're all pretty much assuming it's coming. Oh, gosh, what else? Some of the special effects look great. I'm I'm excited for the show. There's days where I suddenly get on the fence about it, and I think to myself, you know what? I'm afraid they're expanding too much. I'm afraid they're doing too much with you know Supergirl and Flash and Arrow and Legends Tomorrow, and maybe the, these guys, uh, producers, are, are stretching themselves too thin. But, man, this show looks great. If, if nothing else, I just want to see Heat Wave and Captain Cold you know, knocking around in the 70s and having a great time. It looks like a, there's some great bar fights with uh, Heat Wave and White Canary. It looks like a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And you can't say anything because you didn't watch it. That's true. Okay. No. So we'll jump, <laughs> we'll jump forward. I'll tell you, Dawn of Justice, I was getting in the spirit of it, Rob. Uh, I was getting in the Aquaman mode for it. <laughs> because while I watched it, I was mopping up my family room where our clothes washer flooded. So I did watch both of those shows. But honestly, I only had half an eye on it as I was watching them because I was mopping up all this water, which was a royal pain. Which almost delayed this recording, in fact. So why don't you lead us through a discussion on the Dawn of Justice League special? Uh, well, like you said, it was very similar to the... Those, those old Friday night things they would do for the new Saturday morning lineup. Uh, it was very much like that, except this one had a lot more awkward sexual tension between Kevin Smith and Jeff Johns. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh my God, is there anything Kevin Smith won't shill? I, I guess not. I, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, like, yeah, he was the one who told everybody that the prequels were great. Okay, anyway. Uh, no, it was super cool because, first of all, they got they showed um, way more of Wonder Woman mm-hmm. than I thought they were going to. Uh, I, di- I didn't even know that they had, like, any real footage of that movie done, but they do. You got to see a couple of shots. That was exciting. That was really exciting. And you got to see uh, sort of uh, Jason Momoa as Aquaman. They had a drawing of him in the in looking like, I guess, what he's going to look like. But, like, they gave Aquaman, like, his own little chunk of the special. Yeah. I mean, it was brief. Character spotlight. Yeah. But there it was. And so that was exciting to literally see Aquaman. You know, there he is. And they had a clip from Momoa talking about it. And uh, so that was that was really, really cool. And then they showed the second Suicide Squad trailer. Um, so that, that was really neat too. It, it was fun. It was, it was fun. It, it was, it was neat to see all this geeky stuff on a TV show sort of writ large the way it is. It's sort of amazing. But the thing I said that most I'm excited about is Wonder Woman. I, I'm really, 
I, I was saying to, to Tracy that like if DC Warner Brothers does this right, that thing will make a fortune because so many women, families, girls are waiting for this movie or waiting for Wonder Woman. And they're going to get to it in terms of female superhero movie before Marvel and just do it right, fellas. So far, it looks pretty cool. Uh, you know, I dig Chris Pine, so that's the thing I'm really, really excited about. That footage was great. There was some gorgeous, gorgeous, like, landscape footage of her, like, riding a horse through, the through I don't know, the mountains or the hills or whatever. It was beautiful. You saw some great shots of her. Cause, now, if you don't know, it's a period piece. It takes place in the past. And so you see her in sort of a... I don't know, early 1900s get up. And it's during World War One, I, I think it is. Is it one? I, I, I had heard two originally, but it certainly doesn't look like two. It does look more like World War One. But seeing her hair, she's dressed. You know, she's doing the Diana Prince thing. She's got glasses on and she's dressed in a very contemporary outfit for the time. And she just looks great. She looks beautiful. Uh, I'll say it. She's hot. But she she pulls. Hey, you're talking about David Ace Gutierrez's second wife. So well, be terribly careful. sorry until the until she's got a ring on her finger. She's fair game. Anyway, she's a uh, pot. But anyway, she really looked great in that. You know, she looked, I don't know, strong. She she really pulled off the look as Wonder Woman and pulled off the look as Diana Prince. And I think one of the things this movie has going for it is sort of what Captain America First Avenger did, too, which is period pieces sort of automatically lend a sense of legitimacy to them. You know, Captain America First Avenger, uh, X-Men First Class, both of those benefited from being in the past because the setting is just, it's a cool setting that, you know, 1940s, 1960s, you know, the 1910s is would be very interesting to see. So I think it, that's going to automatically help it rather than trying to show her fit into the modern world and deal with, you know, Prada and stuff like that. Instead, you get to see her deal with a war. And, uh, I, I'm, I was very wowed by the Wonder Woman footage. Now, I'm not a Wonder Woman purist like a lot of people. I like the savage Wonder Woman, not savage, but I mean the warrior <laughs> Wonder Woman. I like warrior Wonder Woman, you know, willing to fight for peace where she's on the horse with the sword and whoosh, takes a swing at some guy. And I'm sure a million diehard Wonder Woman fans were screaming at that moment. Oh, it's not Wonder Woman. You know what? I thought it looked cool. I thought it looked badass. And I thought her fighting when they were showing her spinning around and stuff like that was really, really cool. So I, I agree. The Wonder Woman scenes were the highlight for the special for me as well. Yeah. I just didn't know they were going to do that much of it. I, I, mm -hmm. that was, a, I thought they'd show a still or something, but they actually had a number of scenes. They're, they're well into production and that's, yep. that's, that's really cool. Now, the Aquaman scene, there was two little shots of Momoa's Aquaman. There was the one shot we've seen quite a bit, and they sort of, like, did Flash, uh, like, using Flash animation. Yeah. <laughs> where kinda, yeah. He was supposed to be underwater in front of a, you know, Ivan Reese-drawn Atlantis. So it was, it was sort of an anime, half-animated, half-live-action little just still shot that was warbling like waves. And then you got the other one, like you said, that drawing looked like a Brian, um, Brian Hitch drawing or something like that, maybe? I saw some Brian Hitch, I saw some Paul Pelletier, and definitely some Ivan Reese and Joe Prada. And then um, there was The Flash. You know, everyone's been kind of wondering what they're going to do with The Flash because, you know, we've, we all love the TV show. And now they're introducing another version of Barry Allen in the films. And they talked about that. They said, you know, the multiverse. They pointed that out. And they even said, you know, they recognize, you know, Flash is killing it on TV, doing great. This is a different version of Barry Allen. Then they gave us history, which is identical to The Flash on TV. Um, which was, <laughs> I expected it to be a little different if they're going to go to that extent to tell his origin. I'm like, that's exactly what they showed us on TV. Um, but there was one shot. It was all concept drawings. None of it was footage of the Flash. But one of the concept drawings at the very beginning looked like it might actually be the movie costume because it was very different. All the other ones were straight from the comics. There was one in the beginning. It was looked like kind of a little not bulky armor, but it looks like he had sort of plates on him and stuff like that. It was very different. Very different. 
But I, I honestly was not too jazzed for that special when it started, because I'm kind of lukewarm on the movie, Batman v Superman. But uh, I, was, I was I was definitely entertained. And I don't mind Kevin Smith shilling comic book stuff. I think that's okay if he shills comic book stuff. No, it was, I'm just kidding around. But it was just, like, awkward to have these two guys talk to each other like neither one of them knows what the other is saying. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like Kevin Smith telling Jeff Johns, well, Wonder Woman's one of the biggest characters in the DC. Yeah, I, I, we, but they both know that. Well, it's like, I, I know they had to, I know they were, I know they're hosting it for the audience, but it was just, it was just awkward. It was just weird. It would be like, you know, Harrison Ford and, and Mark Hamill being, well, you know, the Jedi's are, yeah, we know, you guys know all that. Come on, just, just show us the clips. Well, I, I thought it was worse was like when they're looking at the props and Kevin Smith's like, What's this big katana sitting here for? It's like, come on, Kevin. You, we know you know what that is. <laughs> I, I should mention just a little bit of local pride since New Jersey takes such a ribbing, deservedly so. Uh, the actor who plays Cyborg, Ray Fisher, is from this neck of the woods. And not even just New Jersey. He's literally from, like, a, the next town over. Very cool. So He was the uh, – the, there is a, um, a, a couple named uh, Dan and Anna, and they are the ones who introduced – Tracy and I. Dan is a teacher. His student was Ray Fisher. That's fantastic. How Playing cool. cyber. I mean, yeah. he's like your second cousin already. There you go. Right? I mean, isn't that how that works? Yeah, that's exactly how that works. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you liked the little uh, the style they did the the Superman special in with like the little side discussions of the character profiles. That was very similar with Legends of Tomorrow, by the way. Very similar kind of format, like you saw there. Both entertaining specials. I'm sure they'll probably be on the YouTube's or the the DC Comics page or whatever. If you missed them, check them out. They were entertaining, well worth your time. Make a bowl of popcorn. Get ready for some awesome sauce. And then again, don't forget, send me that email what you thought of Legends of Tomorrow, so I can get it tomorrow. Before before I see it on Thursday. I should also mention there was a little another piece of movie news that uh, we have not talked about on the show is that it's not been like official, official confirmed, but it's like 90 percent official mm. that Amber Heard is going to play Mira. Mm. Uh, I mean, look, not hard to look at uh, Amber Heard. I'll, I, I'll, I'll do it for you. Yeah, she ahead. is smoking hot. She is. She is. Yes. Uh, I was kind of hoping they went, they were going to go for somebody with a little more acting chops because I don't think Momoa is necessarily on that scale. He's kind of more, I think, movie star presence. Uh, and I don't, I haven't seen that much of Amber Heard. I know she's in the Danish girl, which is kind of an art of an art house movie. And maybe she's good in that. I don't know. But like from what I've seen of her, she's, she's not bad. She's just kind of a, you know, sort of generic, really pretty woman who's in movies and, you know. The, the Hollywood never gets tired of that. Uh, so I was, was kind of hoping they were, they were not going to go for somebody who was maybe just a little more of an actory air. But this, that doesn't seem to be where they're going. But, uh, you know, holding out judgment. I mean, we haven't even seen Aquaman yet, so let's not even worry about Mira. But that does seem to be uh, like, again, Warner Brothers isn't confirming it, but apparently the Hollywood Reporter said it's happening. And they're, you know, they, the Hollywood Reporter is not some cheesy website looking for clickbait. That's a real you know, news vendory outfit. So we have to assume that that's what it's going to be. Now, let's be fair. I mean, when they cast Gal Gadot, same sort of accusations. They said, who is she? She's too skinny. She doesn't have, you know, the acting chops to pull off Wonder Woman. And so far, you know, all of her, you know, admittedly all we've really seen is mugging for the camera, but it's looking good. Everyone seems to be very positive about her. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. so. You never know. This could be, uh, this could be the next Daisy Ridley. Could be, hey, absolutely. I mean, you know, when they cast Daisy Ridley, they're like, really? An unknown? They must have known what they were doing, and they clearly did. Yeah, they and, did. And it's going to be really cool to have, you know, there's going to be Mira in a movie. Like, wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
All right, folks. Well, uh, Rob and I need to go read the comics to review for tonight. So we're going to take a quick break and uh, read our eight pages each. Rob, don't talk during it. Don't don't read aloud this time. It distracts me, okay? And uh, when we come back, we will cover DC Comics Presents, whatever happened to, as my friend Rob says it, Robot Man. And <laughs> apparently his butt's very important, Robot Man. And then uh, Mark Merlin and Prince Raman Noodle. Fifty years ago, Southeast Asia became a home away from home for two million Americans as they fought in the biggest, the longest, and most controversial conflict their nation had known since the war between the states. Old enough to kill, but too young to vote. This is their story. Stan Lee presents The Nom. Join me, Tom Panneries, as I bring you an issue-by-issue look at The Nam, the Marvel Comics series that documented the lives of troops in the Vietnam War. Each episode covers one issue of the comic, as well as the history of the war, and I also take the occasional look at movies, music, television, novels, and other culture of the Vietnam War. New episodes drop every two weeks at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. Captain America and the Red Skull. Note, the Cosmic Cube can do anything. I want my part in the Bicentennial Celebration to be the most patriotic, most fantastic ever, so I must practice. Zap! Holy lightning! Where are these blasted rays taking me? Ah, yes, my little fellow by Cosmic Cube. With your powers and my evil brain, we can take over the United States before the centennial celebration. And then the world. Of course, it will be a lot easier with Captain America out of the way. Welcome, Captain America. My Cosmic Cube has just delivered you from Washington to my doorstep. Now we'll see what kind of bicentennial it will be with you as my prisoner. I know how to get that Cosmic Cube on my side. Okay, Cosmic Cube, since you're so super powerful, maybe you'll be super sensitive to the delicious Hostess Twinkies. Mmm, delicious golden sponge cake. Cosmic Cube, I command you to pulverize Captain America! Your Cosmic Cube refuses to obey you, Red Skull, because it's enjoying the Hostess Twinkies. Mmm, smooth, creamy filling, too. And now back to the important work of the glorious Bicentennial. I'd better stop off for another package of Hostess Twinkies on my way back to the Washington Monument. By George Washington, my cube has gone square! You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies. Alright folks, and we're back, and cue Robot Man! <laughs> uh, yes, this story is from DC Comics Presents number 31. The backup feature is Whatever Happened to Han Solo... No, Hans... Uh, uh, Robot Man, whatever it is. No, it's Robot Man. <laughs> uh, it's uh, written by Bob Rosakis, uh, penciled by Alex Saviak, and inked by Vince Coletta. Uh, um, the story, <laughs> the story, the story opens with a uh, with Perd happily doing a news broadcast talking about <laughs> I get whatever that joke. 
Thank you. Whatever happened, he says, uh, our final story concerns a man who died 20 years ago. And they talk about Charles Grayson, who was an expert in robotics. He says, when he died of a rare brain disease, Grayson's body was cryogenically preserved with instructions that it be unfrozen to house the brain of the original robot man. Uh, and there's a little editor's note says, nothing to be confused with Cliff Steele of the Doom Troll, the second robot man. And Purd mentions that uh, this has not happened because nobody has been able to find Robot Man. He's been gone for 20 years. So then we do a flashback, rounded corners. We see how it happened and that uh, Chuck Grayson uh, and and um, the Robert Crane, Professor Robert Crane were working together. They get shot by some ne'er-do-well criminals. Um, Bob, is ki- Bob is shot to death. They see the uh, robot body and they ignore it. They're like, well, that's just a bunch of junk. So they leave it alone. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> it is about what they say. Right. It pretty much is. So as Bob lies there dying, Chuck says, basically, you know, you, there's one chance for you to live. I can put your skull into our man of metal. And he does that. He puts him into Robot Man's body. And, you know, he's like, thank God he's alive. And he's Robot Man. And so then we've, we again, it's continues on with the flashback about um, you've, it turns out that Grayson is charged in the murder. The, the, the crooks managed to frame him and Robot Man decides to help try and uh, prove him that he's uh, that he's innocent of the crime. And they get in the whole thing about his superheroic career very briefly. It's basically one panel. They sort of talk about it. Then we find out where he's been all this year. He was in a mind collapse. Ah. buried under all this stuff. And then all of a sudden he wakes up in 20 years and he says, I wonder how long I've been unconscious. This booby trapped cave really knocked me for a loop. And now as far as robot man is concerned, like no time has passed, you know, he doesn't know. So he's going to go pick up right up on the case of the, whoever killed his buddy, not realizing that so much time has passed. He goes and he tries to find the head crook, which is a guy named Alvin, uh, Lash, Lashkey. He finds Lashkey still <laughs> – he goes on, he looks for him, and he does, again, he doesn't realize that so much time is best. He goes to check into a hotel. There's a great scene where he says, uh, I want one – I'd like a room for the night, please. And the guy says, certainly, sir. That will be $52. $52 for one night. That's incredibly expensive. Hardly, sir. We're much more economical than our competition. Well, okay, I guess. Lashkey must have a finger of the hotel pie, too. <laughs> <laughs> Corruption everywhere. Corruption is everywhere. So basically, he ends up finding Lashkey, who happens to be working in the same exact office that he was all these years later. But he's, of course, 20 years older. And the uh, robot man is really confused. He's like, I don't understand. He's like, what is the trick is he trying to pull? He confronts Lasky, accuses him of, of um, numbers, num- running numbers, smuggling, loan sharking. Lashkey's like, what the heck are you talking about? Bob removes his fake face, and we see that he's Robot Man underneath. Lashky flips out. They get into a battle. Some of Lashky's goons come in, try and shoot Robot Man. Of course, it doesn't work because he's made of metal. He knocks all those guys out. As Lashky starts to get away, Robot Man is is, uh, grabbed by a bunch of people, onlookers, that want his autograph. They're all like, hey, you know, and they're all excited that this man of metal, is that the guy we heard about on TV? So Lashky starts to get away, but Robot Man catches up. He grabs the car that he's in, smashes, pulls it out, and arrests him. Later on, at Carver City Police Headquarters, um, Robot Man realizes this is 1980. The world has changed a lot since he saw it. And he realizes, he reads in the paper that his, the body of his buddy, Grayson, is still available in cryogenically frozen chambers somewhere. So he could put his brain into Grayson's body, which they do. So he wakes up in the body of his best friend. <laughs> really weird. And it ends with him saying, Robot Man's career may be over, but a new life for Robert Crane, a.k.a. Chuck Grayson, is about to begin. And that is the end, in more ways than one, of Robot Man. 
It's true. For uh, now, this is before uh, All Star Squadron, right? This is no. This is during All Star Squadron. Really? Yes. Wow. Okay. His next his next appearance is in All Star Squadron, like right after this. Now, chronologically, it's not because those are, of course, all take place in the forties. This ended up being, uh, if Mike's Amazing World can be believed, and it normally can be, this is the last appearance of Robotman. Like he does not appear in any DC comic in continuity after this. Wow. Done. So uh, now I thought that was really interesting because to, to this point, when we've covered these stories, mm-hmm. uh, they were either just sort of another adventure of the character right. or they were kind of bringing him back. But this one brings him back to get rid of him, which is unique to this point. Well, I thought we saw the final – didn't we see the final story of somebody else? No. Or has that not happened yet? I don't know, well, there, we know there's one that we get to. But that, okay, that, maybe that, that's that, what I'm thinking of. Really okay. good one. But anyway, uh, I wrote, I reached out to Barbara Zakis to ask him about it because mm. I was like, what do you remember doing this one? And I, I just said to him, didn't it seem a little unusual? Like I thought it was unusual that you brought this guy back just to get rid of him. And this is what Bob said. He said, I thought – I think it was the case uh, with more than one of these that we brought back the characters just because they hadn't been seen in X number of years and then to show why. So they were going right back into retirement limbo when the story ended. And that exactly what – that is exactly what happens here because, again, Robot Man does not appear – Again, he's gone after this. Hmm. Okay. See, I, I, when did All Star Squadron start then? Well, this, this, uh, that's a good question. I right, think see, 1981, yeah. I believe. Well, that's when this book came out. See, I'm, I'm kind of calling foul here. I'm, I'm, I'm stalling for time because I'm looking up All Star Squadron real quick here on Mike's okay. Amazing World. What are you calling foul for? Uh, foul? I don't think All Star Squadron was out. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Calling foul on you, sir. I don't think. I think I'm right. Well, vamp for time while I look this up then. <laughs> Tell people about the Vince Coletta's amazing artwork. It is a fun story. I mean, it's, it, I like the idea. It, it's so hard to do these decent stories with eight pages, but, uh, you know, I love the idea that, like, these crooks are in the same office that he was 20 years later. Like, I love all that kind of stuff. Like, he's the, yeah, like, the guy's still, like, even in the same town and things like that. <laughs> still, that's fun. Anyway, Ulster Squadron number one was published in September 1981. Yep. It's cover date is September 1981. So, so that it came out nine months after this DC Comics presents. Okay. All right. So I'm a little off. But I'm not well, that well, that's interesting. I think it, this may have played a role in, well, probably not Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas probably had all this worked out in his head. But still, I just, it's interesting that he appears here and then now. Nine months later, becomes a star of a book. You know, this may yep. have had some impact on Roy choosing him because he had been in the public eye recently. Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, I don't think I really was familiar with Robot Man at all until All Star Squadron. I may have seen a reprint or something in some old back issue, but I, I think probably when he when Roy put him in All Star Squadron, he was probably completely new to me. And I like it here. I like the story. I, you know, uh, it, the idea of putting your brain in your best friend's body is just majorly creepy. Um, and well, you know, that's, that's what's in my will is I'm going to allow your brain to be put in my body. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know what to say to that. Um, <laughs> you, you should be flattered, but anyway. Okay. So uh, I, I love, uh, I've always loved robot man's mullet, um, where he's got like, it's almost like long hair in the back. Right. The metal mullet that he's yeah, got. I, I adore that. I, and I'm so glad they have it here. And I, I like how his face emotes so much as well. Yes. I think it's a fun story. This is this, yeah, is, this is. is probably one of my favorite of the backups we've done so far. Yeah, I mean, I wish again for a lot of these features they had kind of find a little more unique art team. I I'm a big defender of Alex Saviak. I know Frank takes me to task for that all the time. I still say Saviak is really good when he's inked properly, and to me, Vince Coletta very rarely inked anybody properly. <laughs> um, but 
I, you know, it's serviceable enough. It's, it's, it's nothing super special there. We've done some ones in this series that were a lot better than this. And we're going to get to some that are definitely better. Um, but, but this is, this works. I, I like the story so much that I can get by the, the fairly, you know, just sort of, um, basic artwork. I love that. He's just completely blind to the fact of what's going on, that he's 20 years in the future. He just like refuses to accept it. Like you said, there's the thing we're in the hotel, you know, he keeps talking about the cars look so different, the fashion, and he just keeps going on and he just refuses to like, you know, do your typical thing in a movie where you look at the newspaper and go like 1980, what? You know, <laughs> something, but it's just, it, 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 the gag goes for a long time. And I, I really like that about the story yeah it's fun and i think it's cute that they were able to preserve uh grayson's body for what 20 years or something like i know that? that's i'm wondering how, who pays for that well how do they do that in the city? well i guess they did it with uh disney i guess so then that technology existed back then no that was 72 when he died so i wonder i wonder who is going to get put in walt disney's body i wonder who has that deal you mean what who walt disney's brain will be put in whose body right maybe the other like it's right yeah, yeah. well yeah. yeah now i Oof, okay, I have an admission to make. I It's been a long time since I've reread my All-Star Squadron. I have gotten them out probably three times in the last ten years with the intention of rereading them and haven't started the project because it just got kind of daunting looking at all 61 issues or whatever it is. And uh, I haven't started. Does Robot Man, does he have stretchy arms in All-Star Squadron? Because he, um, here he's got the stretchy arms. I, you know, I don't remember. I don't recall him being able to do that in All-Star Squadron. I don't think so. He's mostly just a big, str- like, strong and fast. That's, that's what I remember, that's yeah. Bit, yeah. But, you know, forgive us, Manzi, uh, if, if we're wrong there. I just, it's, uh, I'm trying to remember. It's interesting, if he's been in cryogenic freeze for 20 years, or just whatever, low power mode, like R2, uh, for 20 years, <laughs> that means he operated all the way from the 1940s all the way to the 1960s. Yeah. That means he, he went past the, uh, the un-American house committee or whatever and kept going as a hero. Good for him. He was a backup feature in detective comics, of all things, for a long time. Mm. Um, and I remember I, I've seen some of the reprints and like they, the artwork is really kind of unusual. It was an unusual looking strip. Um, I, I kind of do want to go. Would love to find some of those older stories and read them because I don't know. There's something about this concept I I just kind of like more than some others. I don't. I can't even really put my finger on it. But there's. I guess it's just like the whole brain switching is just sort of ghoulish and weird. And <laughs> I love the idea that these like your your buddy is like you can just have my body when I'm done with it. Like that's just crazy. You know. Like wow, that's a that's a pal. Well, I actually I don't have any problem with that at all. Really, I don't know why. Maybe just because comics. But the the part that I'm fascinated with would love to see explored was he he actually says. Well, I guess I can give up being Robot Man because there's another one now. And he's talking about Cliff Steele and right, Doom right, Patrol. Right. And I, I wonder, and I'll put the question out there to Paul Hicks, one of the guys on the uh, Waiting for Doom podcast, did the Robot Mans ever meet? Has there ever been a story where Robot Man and Robot Man meet? Now, it also, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's the case. Now, if there is a Doom Patrol, if like the Doom Patrol was here in this world, that means this is Earth-1. Yeah, he clearly. Yeah, he's clearly indicating his Earth One. Right. So is this oh. a different Robot Man? Because of course, if he's in the All Star Squadron, that's Earth Two. Oh, Roy Thomas's head probably just exploded. Well, you know, he probably had this whole thing worked out where this is the Robot Man of Earth One who was around in the '60s or whatever, maybe the '40s, whatever. And the one in the All Star Squadron is the Earth Two version of it, and that way his his ending isn't necessarily dictated by what happens here. Right. Because the their uh, robot man makes an appearance in Justice League of America number one forty four, which was a flashback to and a heretofore unrevealed origin of the JLA. 
Hmm. And, and Roboman is in that, and that's Earth-1. So that's got to be this Roboman, which would be different from the Roboman of Earth-2, unless, of course, they go back. he manages to travel back and forth between worlds. I think we need a detailed who's-who listing all about that. <laughs> also, uh, it's worth mentioning, if I recall... Oh, I see where you're going with that. That was for Zoom, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, they made a connection here because no one who wrote for DC in the 80s could walk away from a good continuity uh, connection. Mm-hmm. Grayson is the name of, what, the scientist, I think it was? Yes, yes, And they did, they did connect that with Dick Grayson. Of part. course, because, yes. Of course they did. So there's only like six names in the entire DC universe. DC universe yeah. Exactly right. Well, fun comic. Definitely, I think it's worth checking out. And uh, is this the this is the Wonder Woman team up, right? No, this is no, the this Robin. Is this Superman is... and Robin, which features art by JLGLPBHN, which is really a really good story. It's Superman and Robin versus a, a circus. And uh, I want to say beautiful looking. Oh god, such a beautiful comic. Somebody covered this on a podcast that I listened to not too long ago. And I'm embarrassed to say I don't recall. I think it was I think it was Tom Panarese. And if I'm wrong, and it was your podcast at home, please write me a note, and I sincerely apologize. So, all right. Well, then moving on next to DC Comics presents number thirty-two, which was a team up between Superman and Wonder Woman. Did you happen to flip through this front story? I did. That is his one bonker story. <laughs> now it's written. I remember right, it's written by Jerry, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Jerry Conway. But man, it might as well be a zany Haney story. It's all about Superman and Wonder Woman. Basically, getting their freak on. Um, yep. They get, they get. What? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yep. And you get to see a scene of Wonder Woman lifting uh, Lois Lane over her head about the thrower, which is fantastic. There's this great scene where, like, so, so they've been cast. And this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. But I just, I, you know, me. Wonder Woman's hot, so I can't not talk about it. So Wonder Woman and Superman are smitten with each other because they've got hit by Cupid's arrow, basically. And Rob just described this scene with Wonder Woman and uh, and Lois. And so finally, Superman and Wonder Woman decide to give in to their romance rather than fight it because they fought it for the long time because they didn't want to upset Lois and um, Steve Trevor so finally they just give in and they're making out and Wonder Woman actually says mm, that was nice why don't we stop fighting it my love and go someplace <laughs> where we can take care of some business yeah and Superman says I think I get your meaning lady I think I really do oh my god and the new 52 was born and then you see him later you know Wonder Woman Superman's coming out of the shower <laughs> no that was actually when uh, Superman and Lois had sex for the first time in uh, post-crisis. But anyway. Or, no, it was after Superman came back from the dead. It's like, they're kissing, and the next scene is Superman in her apartment coming out of the shower. That means that's post-sex. But anyway. We're here to talk instead about a story that's not quite as interesting as the front story or the one we just covered. But I'm going to do my best, folks. This is Whatever Happened to Mark Merlin and Prince Raman. But to set a little bit of, uh, set the mode, mood, if you will, just to understand Mark Merlin is a character who was around starting in 1959 in House of Secrets, in starting in issue 23. And he was in 50 plus issues of House of Secrets as a back, as one of the, the stories in there. Mark Merlin uh, went for, as I said, 50 issues. Then he was suddenly replaced, and, and not just in the strip, but in the ongoing story, by a character named Prince Raman. Prince Raman actually stepped in and took over, like, basically Mark's gig and his girlfriend. Um, and Prince Raman, though, only went for eight issues. So I I didn't know which one of them had a longer life, so I wanted to look it up. So 50 issues versus only eight. So obviously Prince Raman wasn't that well regarded. So this ran altogether from 1959 to 1966. Now, the interesting thing, too, is Prince Raman, they actually kind of connected him to the DC Universe itself because he actually fought Eclipso, which is pretty cool. Eclipso in the 60s, if you didn't know, was pretty neat. 
Now, this comic, as I mentioned, DC Comics Presents number 32, is uh, cover dated April 1981. It was on the shelf on January 8th, 1981. And uh, I, as I like to do, I, I, I told you before, Rob, I'm going to pick out a few books that were on the shelf during that same time. I'm going to mm-hmm. limit myself to... I'm going to limit myself to five and honorable and one honorable mention. Um, first one, Flash Gordon number 31 by Gold Key. Guess what? The, guess why this issue is uh, worth talking about? Uh, probably movie Italian. Part one of the movie adaptation. How awesome go. is that? It's got a great cover, a photo cover. So cool. Then uh, Flash number 296 with the elongated man on the cover, but worth Firestorm mentioning. backup. Firestorm backup. Are you on Mike's Amazing World? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just know my oh, comic sister. That's right. Firestorm backup with him fighting Typhoon. It's, uh, the, the, the soul of the storm. Then, uh, action, also on the shelf the same month, Action Comics number 518. Why is that one, Rob? Uh, that's got an Aquaman backup, I it believe. It does have an Aquaman backup entitled Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Then Micronauts number 28 with an awesome, awesome cover where, uh, they're fighting Baron Karza. And if I remember right, I think this is the one where they actually kill Baron Karza. It was, it's, either way, it's a great time period to be reading Micronauts. It was so good. And then my, uh, it's one, two, three, four. My number five choice is Marvel Premiere number 59, which actually featured a Doctor story. Who. Oh my gosh! How do you know that? Excuse me, I'm going to take a victory lap around the living room. Hold on, I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> By the way, Rob's going to go run five miles. Ah, this is goddamn. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> just ran five miles. Uh, he's just put that on Facebook. <laughs> so, uh, the honorable mention, which is not really an honorable mention at all, it's more of a dishonorable mention, also on the shelves the same month was New Teen Titans number six. Which was the culmination of the storyline with Trigon, Trigon, drawn by George Perez? No! Kurt Swan. Yeah. Not the best way to wrap that up. So, anyway, just wanted to set the tone for what was going on in the comic verse at that point. So, folks, this backup story is written by Mike Teffenbacher, pencils by Alex Saviak, inks by, once again, uh, Vince Colota. Uh, actually, so I guess it's the same pencil and ink team. Letters yep. by Ben Oda, colors by Jerry, is it Serpe? Is that how you say that? So I always thought it was Serpe, yeah. Okay, Serpe, editor Julie Schwartz. Now, here's why this story is such a struggle. Um, it is told very non-linearly. Um, they, they, they start at one time period, cut to another time period, cut to another time period, jump back to another one, and then, with only eight pages, they don't explain it very well. In fact, when I got done reading it, in order to write this recap, I had to go to a wiki page to understand some of what I read that they didn't have the room to explain. So I'm going to explain it to you so you understand the whole picture. Just know that if you read these eight pages, you're not necessarily going to get all these details. All right, so the, the long, long ago, a character named Mark Merlin inherited a bunch of magical relics and books from his magician uncle, a guy who went by the name The Mighty Merlin. So Mark Merlin himself became a supernatural investigator. He went around debunking fakers, people that pre- uh, pretended to be of the cult, and also defeating people that used a cult for evil. He worked alongside with his girlfriend, Elsa Magison, and they had many, many adventures together, as we cited, fit over 50 adventures in the House of Mystery, or House of Secrets. And by the way, there's mul- he, he would have multiple adventures per issue, so he had a, a lot of fun. Now, sadly, at one point down the line, Mark went missing, and he was gone for a long time. But very strangely, as he went missing, another man turned up who called himself Prince Raman. Prince Raman went to Elsa and informed her that Mark died, and he was killed by a criminal named the Gargoyle, and that Mark apparently wanted Prince Raman to say, uh, he contacted him because of his occult abilities to go save Elsa. So Prince Raman comes in, and then he takes over the strip. 
And similar to Mark, he actually becomes a supernatural investigator, and he also worked alongside of Elsa Magison. So they basically just, for whatever reason, the editors decided to write Mike Mark out of the series and bring in Prince Rahman. Obviously, it didn't take all that well, because he only lasted eight more appearances. So then, according to this DC Comics Presents story, at some point along the line, Prince Rahman goes missing, just like Mark did. And he's been missing for a few years now. Maybe he's trapped in a coal mine. Trapped in a coma? Coal mine. Coal mine. Oh, like Robot Man? (laughs) He's in one coal mine over. That's right. That thing's a death trap. It really is. That Carver City, I tell you, it's dangerous. So, the story opens, and Elsa, uh, not to be confused with the the girl from Frozen, is she's looking for the truth. She wants to know what happened to her boyfriend, Mark Merlin, and now Prince Rahman. And she is appearing on a TV show called Daybreak with Roy Raymond. And if you know your New 52 history, Roy Raymond is, in fact, the uncle of Ronnie Raymond. So there's your Firestorm connection. And uh, so... This is where it gets really screwy. A bunch of stuff happens. You follow a cat around for, I kid you not, two and a half pages. Two and a half pages in an eight-page story, you follow a cat around. Uh, by the end of it, you discover that Prince Rahman ex- exchanged bodies, or minds, I guess you should say, with their house cat, which is named Mamakata. <laughs> well, apparently, Mark used to do this, too, where he would exchange his mind with the cat. They would switch bodies. Um, and he did this, apparently, Mark, Prince Rahman apparently did this to defeat Doctor, the evil Dr. Seven. Unfortunately, Prince Rahman got trapped in the cat body. All these years he's been missing, he's actually had his mind in this cat body, and the longer he's in the cat body, the more he thinks like a cat. So <laughs> I need to knock stuff over. <laughs> so Elsa and Mem- Memakata, the cat, they find Prince Ramon's body. Turns out it was hidden in her house all the time. Oh. And it's, it's inside an old stage magic trick box. It's like one of those uh, where you, you hide a body kind of thing or like someone. Right, right, anyway, right. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. The, just know the body's perfectly preserved and he's just been in animation. They managed to switch their bodies back, the cat and Prince Raman switch bodies back. Okay, he's back to normal. That could be the end of the story. But at this point, for whatever reason, Prince Raman decides after all these years to finally tell Elsa what happened to her boyfriend Mark. Because apparently he's known the whole time and never told her. Because he's a douche. Um, he, as, you know, he told her that there was this epic battle with Gargoyle and Mark was killed. What actually happened was Mark wasn't killed. He was transported to a parallel dimension called Ra. While he was in Ra, he met this Egyptian scientist. It's, you know, it's very much an Egyptian type culture. He meets, meets this Egyptian scientist named Kranak and his daughter Rima. Um, not the hot Rima jungle girl, but a different one. And then... Quite honestly, somehow, which is truly beyond me, Mark gets a bunch of powers while he's there. They don't. This is where everything gets very confusing, because they spent two and a half pages on the cat. They didn't have enough room to explain everything else. It all happens very quickly, like in one panel, and then it moves on. You're like, what just happened? Why did he get a bunch of powers? Okay, i just supposed to assume he did. So the Egyptians... Because comics. Because comics, I guess. Uh, the Egyptians talk with Mark, because Mark wants to go home. And they say, Mark, you have, you have the option of staying here in Ra, in, in this dimension, and living forever. And if the art is any indicator, he could also stay in Ra forever, hooking up with super hot Rima uh, pretty much forever as well, because she's all over him. It's not a bad gig if you can get your hands on it. <laughs> See what I did there? Anyway. I think I got it. Uh, Mark, though, was insistent on going home. And they said the only way for him to go home was... Wait for it. His body and soul would have to remain in Ra, otherwise he would die. So instead, they somehow reincarnated his memories into the... Uh, they reincarnated his <laughs> memories into the body of a young Egyptian prince who accidentally died 4,000 years ago, and that prince is can come to Earth, and the prince is named Prince Rama. So 
Duh! How easy is that, right? Makes perfect sense. So, Prince Raman is actually sort of kind of Mark Merlin resurrected with his memories. So the sad part is, he's not really Mark, but he kind of is, so he has a lot of his memories. So now Elsa knows that Mark got trapped in this other world and has been resurrected as this, as this guy she's been fighting crime with all this time, but she never really had a romantic connection with Prince Raman. So it's it very confusing and very sad. It ends on kind of a down note where she's sad because, you know, neither Mark nor Prince Raman are truly Mark anymore because he's spread across two beings, I guess. And, and I guess he, his body's gone in the raw dimension. I don't know. He could just be tapping the hell out of Rima. But I would, but... Um, so I'm not being very favorable. You're very confident, Jay. I'm not being... <laughs> she's all over him, dude. And he's all kind of over her. I think the artist and the writers weren't necessarily communicating that he was still in love with Elsa back home is the problem there. But anyway. Well, uh, so again, I'm not kidding when I say they follow a cat for two and a half pages. It's it's really true. And the, the art on those pages are fine. And the caption boxes were written very colorfully and very descriptive. It's very nice. But the fact that they spend so much time on that really tr- forced them to truncate the ending, which made the ending so confusing. Um, as I mentioned, I had to I had to read all kinds of wiki pages just to make sense of what I explained to you guys just now. And uh, it was eight pages, and it took me like half as much time to read it as I have talked about it. So, what did you think of it, Rob? Well, now you're seeing why I picked the Robot Man segment. <laughs> it was an exclamation point. Rob texted uh, me. I asked him which one he wants. He's like, Robot Man! Yeah, because I read this, and I was like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, yeah, Prince Raman is, or Ra, you know, I mean, he's very popular with college students because he's so cheap, you know? I mean... <laughs> Uh, I love uh, the cabbie. That is, I, I love that it's a female cabbie. I, I, I don't know why I'm charmed by that, but like, she, that woman does not look like your typical cabbie. I don't know why Alex Saviak drew such a sort of distinctive cabbie, you know, but uh, I, that's it's just charmed for some reason. Yeah, the cat gets a lot of action. It reminds me of Salem, I think, from uh, what was that show? Sabrina the Teenage Witch. It's kind of got that vibe to it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, this, the, I, I get the sense that Mark Merlin got replaced by Prince Ramen Noodle because, like, the, it was of that time where they were getting rid of all the plainclothes detective characters and replacing them with superheroes. Because mm-hmm. it was like, you know, back in the 50s, they had Warrior Matimi Detective and Captain Compass and Misto the Detective, and they were kind of like phasing those guys out for more superhero concepts. And Prince Ramen is definitely more of a superhero kind of guy. He looks like Anton LaVey. The head of the Satanists, uh, which is I, I have to think is got something to do with. He also looks like Doctor Graves, which was the mystery character over at Charlton. I can't, the, the, I don't think that's a complete coincidence. Yeah, this story is confusing as heck. It really is. Uh, and it, I just, I love the end. Six forty, six thirteen p.m. Another day ends. I was just noticing that just this very moment. Being like, that's really of, weird. The end of the story. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I guess, <laughs> I guess we're done. All right. Fine. <laughs> As Prince Raman is standing there stroking his kitty cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 goofy fun. Now, n- neither Prince Raman nor Mark Merlin had many more appearances after this. Uh, they would show up in things like DC Challenge or maybe one panel of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Prince Raman died in something. I don't even remember. Might have been Crisis. He died, and apparently Mark Merlin actually showed up then afterwards. And so did Elsa as, like, old people. So somehow, mm-hmm. I guess in the post-crisis, they decided that those two were still alive somehow. And uh, they were, you know, out there doing stuff and, and being involved. So interesting. I, I remember when we did the Who's Who entry. I, I, at that point, I thought that was goofy. And after reading this, now I'm like, wow. Most of the Who's Who must have been written based on this, really, because this is where they get they, they drew the connection between the two characters. Other than they just one replaced the other one in the strip. So uh, with that, stick with Robot Man and Wonder Woman and Superman totally getting it on in the front story. <laughs> The, the, those are really great. Those con- those were really good. The, the the both the main DC comic stories were really a lot of fun. So 
Awesome. Love me some DC Comics Presents, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next time we do whatever happens to I promise it will be more, I'll be more upbeat about my story than this one. I get first choice next time. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I've already looked ahead, so I'm not worried. Uh, all right. So, well, uh, Rob, I think that's going to wrap it up for today's episode, correct? I think so. All right. So, Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home uh, where they can go to see some of the images from these pages? Uh, the Tumblr for, uh, for during its last throws, the Tumblr, which is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and our email is firewaterpodcast.comcast.net, and soon you'll be able to visit the website, which will be fireandwaterpodcast.com, and please visit, as Shag mentioned earlier, the Facebook page, which is uh, Facebook slash Fire and Water Network, right? Is that what it is? Fire and Water Network? Just, just search Fire and Water Podcast Network. In Fire, the, the okay, box, you'll so find it. That's probably yeah. the best way to find it. Uh, yeah, as Rob hinted, the Tumblr is, it's, it's days are numbered, folks. Once we have the website, we should be, if all goes well, we'll actually be posting images over there rather than Tumblr. We'll be all right. self-contained. It'll be wonderful. So, uh, in the meantime, folks, you can check out my friend Rob, and I you do use that term loosely, AquamanShrine.net. You can also find him on Twitter and uh, Facebook under Aquaman Shrine, or if you want, look for him under Film in Water Pod, and make sure you write a message that's pretty short because that's going to take up most of your tweet. You can also tweet, <sighs> you can also tweet us at FW Podcasts plural. And what else? Uh, oh, you can find me, FirestormFan.com. You can find me as FirestormFan on Twitter. You can also find me as JLI Podcast on Twitter, by the way. That's getting up and running. You can, and uh, also the Fire and Water Podcasts Twitter feed. Oh, my gosh, so many places. Facebook. I'm just out there. Just come you have your me. JLI. You have your JLI Podcast coming soon? Yeah, there is a JLI Podcast coming. Thanks for that setup. Uh, there's a JLA podcast coming in March where we're going to cover each issue of the Justice League International Era, issue by issue. And the first one will come out in March where we talk about number one with my good friend uh, Ryan Daly. So, But every single episode will be a different co-host, well, at least until we get to like the first 24 issues. Then I might start repeating co-hosts. But yeah, I've actually, you know, I've actually got more co-host volunteers than I have issues available right now. That's a good problem to have. It's nice. It's a nice problem to have. Sad part is I'm like, yeah, definitely. We'll put you in for that issue. And we'll talk in two and a half years. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's the downside of doing a monthly show. But either way, it's going to be a lot of fun and it should come out in March. And uh, can't wait. I guess that's going to do it, folks. Until next time, um, I've been Rob and he's been Shag. And uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. So come down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! Mmm, that looks good, Cory. How many noodles do you think are in that bowl of top ramen noodle soup? I want to tell you something. You count noodles, okay? And I'll eat. Okay. Most people are like Cory. They love eating all those noodles and top ramen. What you'll love is that you can serve your family in three minutes and for just pennies. Well, Cory, how'd it taste? It's fine. Top Ramen Oriental Noodle Soup. The mostly noodle noodle soup from Nishin Foods.